Hare Krishna. So today I thought to read from Srila Prabhupada's summary study of the tenth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam called Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, about Lord Balaram's visit to Vrindavan after he and Krishna had left Vrindavan and been away for quite some time. Tomorrow is Balaram Rasayatra. Uh, and ordinarily I would have spoken on this topic tomorrow. But as the schedule has emerged, uh, I will not have the opportunity to speak on the subject tomorrow. So I thought I will speak on it today. Now, as many of you may have learned by now, uh, we begin our meditation on the Lord from his lotus feet. And then we gradually progress upwards his ankles, uh, knees, thighs, waist, navel, chest, neck, and face. The Srimad Bhagavatam is also the form of the Lord. And in the same way, we begin our study of Srimad Bhagavatam with the lotus feet, which are... Uh, the first and second cantos, and then we gradually progress upwards until we get to the tenth canto, which is uh, compared to the smiling face of the Lord. So although the topics in the tenth canto are very elevated, uh, they can really be appreciated on the liberated platform because the topics pertain to Krishna and his devotees and their pastimes are all enacted on the liberated platform. But on special occasions like Balaram Rasyatra, we do uh, touch on such topics. Um, a few years ago, I was in Vrindavan on this special occasion, tending to a uh, a, a de devotee or disciple who was um, preparing to leave her body. And 
So many uh, senior devotees would come every day and read to her, uh, discuss with her, chant for her. And on this particular occasion, I read uh, the same uh, section from both uh, the 10th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. by the BBT and from uh, the Krishna book. And of course, uh, there were many, I mean, the basic features of of the pastimes were the same in both. But there were, uh, you know, little differences in terms of... uh, details and um, revelations of insights into the pastimes. Uh, but I thought today we will we will read from the Krishna book. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So we read from Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Chapter 65 Lord Balaram Visits Vrindavan Lord Balaram became very anxious to see his father and mother in Vrindavan. Therefore, with great enthusiasm, he started on a chariot for Vrindavan. The inhabitants of Vrindavan had been anxious to see Krishna and Balaram for a very long time. When Lord Balaram returned to Vrindavan, all the cowherd boys and the gopis had grown up. But still, on his arrival, they all embraced him and Balaram embraced them in reciprocation. After this, he came before Maharaj Nanda and Yashoda and offered his respectful obeisances. In response, Mother Yashoda and Nanda Maharaj offered their blessings unto him. They addressed him as Jagadishwar, or the Lord of the Universe, who maintains everyone. The reason for this was that Krishna and Balaram maintain all living entities, 
And yet Nanda and Yashoda were put into such difficulties on account of their absence. Feeling like this, they embraced Balaram and, seating him on their laps, began their perpetual crying, wetting Balaram with their tears. Lord Balaram then offered his respectful obeisances to the elderly cowherd men and accepted the obeisances of the younger cowherd men. Thus, according to their different ages and relationships, Lord Balaram exchanged feelings of friendship with them. He shook hands with those who were his equals in age and friendship and with loud laughing embraced each one of them. So there are many subtle points just in the one paragraph that we have read. The first is that Lord Balaram offered obeisances to Nanda and Yashoda, who had played the roles of his parents, and they offered their blessings to him. Yet, they referred to him as Jagadishwar, or the Lord of the Universe. So it, it appears contradictory that the Lord of the universe is offering his obeisances to Nanda and Yashoda and they're offering their blessings to the Lord of the universe. And that is because uh, in the transcendental pastimes or Leela, there are two considerations, you could say, uh, rasa and tattva. Rasa means the transcendental mellows exchanged between the Lord and the devotee in different relationships. And tattva means their existential positions. So although in terms of tattva, Balaram is the personality of Godhead, he is Vishnu tattva, and uh, Nanda and Yashoda are devotees, but in terms of rasa, in terms of their transcendental relationship, Nanda and Yashoda are uh, in the position of parents of Krishna and Balaram. Let's sell your Ras. Um, so, unless one understands these two aspects, uh, one can be bewildered, and even if one understands the two aspects, one can still be bewildered. 
in a transcendental way. Uh, Queen Kunti prayed uh, to to Krishna that um, <coughs> she was she was seeing his image with uh, Mother Yashoda with the whipping stick in her hand and. Krishna uh, was uh, shivering in fright and rubbing his eyes that were um, painted with mascara and, uh, and tears were coming from his eyes. And, she, and so she was saying that Krishna, who is feared by fear personified, is afraid of Mother Yashoda. And this sight is causing her bewilderment. Um, So there are many intricacies like this. But mainly we should just uh, listen and relish. That is our main business to listen and relish. Once when we were with Srila Prabhupada in Indore, I think it was Indore, in that period when we were touring with Srila Prabhupada in India, one uh, disciple uh, said to Srila Prabhupada that in some places we read that uh, Lord Brahma is born from the lotus that sprouts from the navel of Lord Vishnu and then he creates the different planets. This is described in Srimad Bhagavatam. <coughs> But then in other places we read that all the planets, the different planetary systems, are contained within the stem of the lotus that uh, sprouts from the navel of Lord Vishnu. So how do we reconcile these two different versions? And Srila Prabhupada replied that uh, that it is inconceivable. Uh, we cannot um, understand these things with our uh, limited intelligence and mental capacity. Uh, and our our only business is to love. Krishna. So we do want to study the scripture. It is, it's uh, Bhagavad Shravana. It's one of the five most potent items of devotional service. And we do want to understand the science of Krishna consciousness, rasa and tattva and all other um, elements. Uh, but ultimately, 
we cannot accommodate these vast topics in our uh, teeny brains. And uh, so ultimately, we just surrender and listen and relish. The other point uh, that Srila Prabhupada has mentioned here is that Krishna and Balaram as Jagadishwar, they are maintaining the whole universe and every living entity in the universe. But Nanda and Yasoda suffered uh, greatly from separation in the absence of Krishna and Balaram. So there's a a slightly uh, sarcastic accusation of Krishna and Balaram that you are maintaining the whole universe and all of its inhabitants, but you're neglecting us. What kind of Jagadishwar are you? So this is also a very high level of Krishna consciousness um, in which uh, out of love the devotee uh, can, can quarrel with the Lord. Um, of course this was not really a quarrel as such but a little feeling of being neglected and a little little accusation uh, of them. Um, and on the transcendental platform you have the full range of emotions. Everything exists on the transcendental platform. But on the transcendental platform, everything is pure. Uh, Shuddha sattva, it is beyond uh, the modes of nature. And everything is done uh, out of love for Krishna. In the material world, we might be angry at someone and that anger is usually mixed with hatred. But in the spiritual world, there's also anger, transcendental anger. But that anger is mixed with love for Krishna. So even if sometimes there is some anger expressed uh, by some of the uh, associates of Krishna in Vrindavan. It is uh, on the basis of love. And as explained in uh, Bhaktarasamrita Sindhu and uh, Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita and so many scriptures, even beyond the stage of 
prema, there are further developments of, of transcendental love. I mean, generally, we understand the progression Ado Shraddha Tata Sadhu Sangha Tata Bhajana Kriya all the way up to Bhava and Prema. But in the spiritual world, there are developments beyond Prema. There's Sneha, Raga, Mana, Anurag, Bhav, Mahabhav. These are beyond Prema. And Man, that uh, that is a sort of transcendental anger. But that is possible only beyond the stage of simple prema. Um, uh, that is possible for the residents of Vrindavan. After being received by the cowherd men and boys, the gopis, and King Nanda and Yashoda, Lord Balaram sat down, feeling satisfied, and they all surrounded him. First Lord Balaram inquired from them about their welfare, and then, since they had not seen him for such a long time, they began to ask him different questions. The inhabitants of Vrindavan had sacrificed everything for Krishna, simply being captivated by the lotus eyes of the Lord. Because of their great desire to love Krishna, they never desired anything like elevation to the heavenly planets or merging into the effulgence of Brahman to become one with the absolute truth. They were not even interested in enjoying a life of opulence. They were satisfied in living a simple life in the village as cowherds. They were always absorbed in thoughts of Krishna and did not desire any personal benefits. And they were all so much in love with him that in his absence their voices faltered when they began to inquire from Balaram. So, the um, different stages of advancement are hierarchical. In other words, uh, the qualities of, of, a, of a prior stage or lower stage are also included in in, in the subsequent stages or higher stages. So, in this description of the residents of Vrindavan, uh, Srila Prabhupada describes them in terms that apply uh, to any uh, pure devotee. Basically, you know, anyavilasita sunyam jnana karmadi anavritam anukulyena krishna nushivanam bhakti uchate. Bhaktiuttama. So they they were not interested in. There's a verse in the in the first canto, the same idea. They were not interested in uh, elevation to heavenly planets. They were not interested in merging into Brahman and what to speak of enjoying 
the opulences of the material world. They were only interested in loving Krishna and serving him. So that is the definition, basic definition of pure devotional service. And that applies from the beginning stages of pure devotional service up to the most advanced stages of Mahabhava. And similarly with the different rasas, the the elements of, uh, if you want to say shantaras, those are included in dasyaras. The the qualities of shanta and dasya are included in sakya, and the, the, the qualities of those three are included in vatsalya, and all the qualities of all four are included in in Madhurya. Uh, so the, it's not that when we become advanced then, you know, <laughs> we, 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 see, we can desire material things. No, it's, it's, it's like um, one disciple said to Srila Prabhupada that when, when we're liberated, when we become paramahamsas, then we can do anything and, and it won't affect us because we will be on the transcendental platform. So then, then when we're paramahamsas, we can also have sex. And Srila uh, Prabhupada replied uh, that uh, this, of course, is foolishness. And he, he told a story of a, uh, a servant of the king. Uh, the, the, the king would ride in, in the boat and, and the servant would walk alongside uh, uh, on a path that ran along the river and he would pull the boat from the land and the king would have a little excursion. So, the king was very pleased with this servant's uh, work and he, he told the servant, I'm, I'm very pleased with you, I will give you whatever you like. So, the foolish servant replied, I would like a velvet carpet to be placed along the path so that when I'm pulling the boat uh, it will be soft under my feet. <laughs> so, you know, Srila Prabhupada said this is foolishness because he could have gotten anything. He, he, he wouldn't have to pull the boat anymore. He, he could have gotten, he, he could have um, attained a boon far greater than you know, doing more or less the same thing, but in a little different way. <laughs> so, so Srila Prabhupada said that this, oh, if I become a Paramahansa, I can have sex. It's like, it's, it, it's, 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 it's like you could, you know, when you're a Paramahansa, you're in a position to, to relish on a much higher platform than that. that. That's like asking for like a little extra facility to, to, to pull the boat on the thorny path. 
Um, so yes, the idea is, of course, param drishtva nivartante, that um, uh, on the highest levels one one experiences a, a higher taste and it has no interest in elevation to heavenly planets, merging into the impersonal Brahma Jyoti and then what to speak of worldly pleasures that are meant for those who are bound for death. So now the uh, residents of Vrindavan um, are about to speak to Lord Balaram with faltering voices, feeling separation from Krishna. First, Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda Mai inquired, My dear Balaram, are our friends like Vasudeva and others in the family doing well? Now you and Krishna are grown up, married men with children. In the happiness of family life, do you sometimes remember your poor father and mother, Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda Devi? It is very good news that the most sinful King Kamsa has been killed by you, and that our friends like Vasudev and the others who had been harassed have now been relieved. It is also very good news that you and Krishna defeated Jarasandha and Kalyavana, who is now dead, and that you are now living in a fortified residence in Dwarka. When the gopis arrived, Lord Balaram glanced over them with loving eyes. Being overjoyed, the gopis, who had so long been mortified on account of Krishna's and Balaram's absence, began to ask about the welfare of the two brothers. They specifically asked Balaram whether Krishna was enjoying his life surrounded by the enlightened women of Dwarka Puri. Does he sometimes remember his father Nanda and his mother Yashoda and the other friends with whom he so intimately behaved while in Vrindavan? Does Krishna have any plans to come here to see his mother, Yashoda? And does he remember us gopis who are now pitiably bereft of his company? Krishna may have forgotten us in the midst of the cultured women of Dwarka. But as far as we are concerned, we still remember him by collecting flowers and sowing them into garlands. When he does not come, however, we simply pass our time by crying. If only he would come here and accept these garlands we have made. My dear Lord Balaram, descendant of Dashara, 
You know that we would give up everything for Krishna's friendship. Even in great distress, one cannot give up the connection of family members. But although it might be impossible for others, we gave up our fathers, mothers, sisters, and relatives. But then Krishna, not caring a pinch for our renunciation, all of a sudden renounced us and went away. He broke off our intimate relationship without serious consideration and left for a foreign country. But he was so clever and cunning that he manufactured very nice words. He said, My dear gopis, Please do not worry. The service you have rendered to me is impossible for me to repay. After all, we are women. So how could we disbelieve him? Now we can understand that his sweet words were simply for cheating us. <laughs> this this word uh, of accusation against Krishna is, is quoted in the Chaitanya Charitamrita in the discussion of these very very high states of love of God exhibited by the Rajavasis in relation to Krishna that, that they uh, call him a cheater. And um, Srila Prabhupada also explains that Krishna, as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, also wants some variety. He gets tired of always being worshipped by Vedic hymns and mantras and elaborate sacrifices and worship. Sometimes he wants someone to chastise him. But who can chastise him? Only the most pure devotee can chastise him. So one example is Mother Yashoda with a whipping stick chastising Krishna for his naughtiness and breaking the butter pots and eating butter and yogurt and feeding his friends and monkeys. And another example is is the gopis chastising him for being a cheater. Uh, Srila Prabhupada told the story of um, a British lord. He was Gladstone. He was actually the prime minister of Great Britain, and. Uh, uh, a big man came to see him. I mean, ordinary people can't see the prime minister. Uh, another big man came to see the prime minister, and the prime minister's secretary said, "Wait, he's engaged now. Uh, he will see you after some time." So the man was waiting and waiting, and uh, there's no no news uh, from inside. So he just uh, pushed open the door a little to see what was happening. 
and the, 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 the great Prime Minister of the United Kingdom was on the floor on his hands and knees with his grandson on his back and his grandson was directing him like a, 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 a man riding a horse get up, get up, go right, go left. So, he's still the Prime Minister even when he's playing the part of a horse for his grandson. He's still the Prime Minister, but sometimes he wants to take a break from being the Prime Minister. He wants to forget that he's the Prime Minister and just enjoy with his beloved grandchild. So Krishna also sometimes wants to take a break, so to speak, from being the Supreme Lord, uh, the ruler of the universe, not just the, the universe, all the universes, um, and just relax with his intimate loved ones. And, and that is his Vrindavan Lila. And it, it said that he he enjoys the the chastisements of of his friends in Vrindavan more than all the Vedic hymns, because that chastisement comes from such a, a deep level of of pure love. So here the gopis are saying that, you know, Krishna said, I cannot repay my debt to you. And uh, just as he was leaving Vrindavan from Mathura, he said, you know, do not worry, I shall return. But then they, they, he didn't come back. They were making garlands for him. Oh, if he comes today, we will be prepared, but he never When the gopis were talking in this way, their feelings for Krishna became more and more... Oh, excuse me. Protesting Krishna's absence from Vrindavan, another gopi said, My dear Balaramji, we are, of course, village girls. So Krishna could cheat us in that way. But what about the women of Dwarka? I don't think they're as foolish as we are. <laughs> we village women might be misled by Krishna, but the women in the city of Dwarka are very clever and intelligent. Therefore, I would be surprised if such city women could be misled by Krishna and could believe his words. Then another gopi began to speak. My dear friend, she said, Krishna is very clever in using words. No one can compete with him in that art. He can manufacture such colorful words and talk so sweetly that the heart of any woman would be misled. 
Beside that, he has perfected the art of smiling very attractively. And by seeing his smile, women become mad after him and give themselves to him without hesitation. Another gopi, after hearing this, said, My dear friends, what is the use of talking about Krishna? If you are at all interested in passing time by talking, let us talk on some subject other than him. <laughs> if cruel Krishna can pass his time without us, why can't we pass our time without Krishna? Of course, Krishna is passing his days without us very happily, but we cannot pass our days happily without him. So, you can see, we are, we are on the platform where it's so easy to forget Krishna. It's nothing for us to forget Krishna. We have, we have to do everything we can to remember Krishna. And they're trying to forget Krishna, but they can't. No matter how much they try, they can't. Uh, but that stage actually begins in the stage of sadhana. Srila uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in his Madhurya Kadambini uh, elaborates on this verse two verses from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Adoshadha, Tathasadhu Sangha, and so on. And he describes that uh, in, in the stage of sadhana, which goes all the way up to the stage of Asakti, just before Bhava, um, um, in, in the earlier stages, we say we're chanting Japa, we're trying to fix our mind on the sound of the holy name. And after some time, we don't even know how much time, how many beads have passed. We realize that our mind is somewhere else. <laughs> we don't know how we left the sound of the holy name, how we got onto the other topic, and then that led to another topic, and then that led to another topic. And, and then we don't even know how much time has passed or how we got there. But what, at, at the stage of a sakti, it's sort of the opposite. If your mind wanders, it automatically comes back. You don't even know how it came back, but it automatically comes back to Krishna. So what to speak of the gopis who are on the highest stage. Um, yeah, they, they are fully absorbed in, in remembrance of Krishna and even if they want to forget him, they can't. When the gopis were talking in this way, their feelings for Krishna became more and more intense. 
And they were experiencing Krishna's smiling, Krishna's words of love, Krishna's attractive features, Krishna's characteristics and Krishna's embraces. By the force of their ecstatic feelings, it appeared to them that Krishna was personally present and dancing before them. Because of their sweet remembrance of Krishna, they could not check their tears and they began to cry without consideration. So this is a very important point. Why did Krishna leave Vrindavan and remain away for so long? After all, the residents of Vrindavan, and especially the gopis, were his best devotees. They had the greatest love for him. And the, the answer, or one answer is, that when Krishna was in Vrindavan, the gopis were always afraid of his separation. Um, yeah, there's a very exalted stage where you can be with Krishna and uh, feel separation from him. This is the uh, pastime of Prem Sarovar. Uh, Radha and Krishna were together. They were sitting right next to each other. And a bumblebee was hovering around them and causing some disturbance. And uh, Srimati Radharani, uh, she wanted uh, the bumblebee to be uh, chased away. So Madhu Mangal, there's some intimate uh, cowherd associates of Krishna, cowherd boys. Of course, he's a Brahmin. But they also take part in the uh, Madhurya Leela. Uh, so he, he chased away the bumblebee and came back and said, the Madhu is gone and then will not come back. So that word can refer to uh, the bee, but it, it, it can also refer to Krishna. It's the name of Krishna. So, even though Srimati Radharani was sitting right next to Krishna, when she heard this statement that Madhu is gone and will not return, she took it as relating to Krishna and she went into deep uh, separation, deep mood of separation, and was crying tears of separation. And Krishna, sitting right next to Radharani, he could not uh, bring her out of her uh, ecstatic trance of separation. And then he began to cry, and their tears created a, a, a pond, 
which their tears of love and became known as Prem Sarovra. So Krishna perceived that as long as he was physically present in Vrindavan, physically means in his spiritual body, um, that the, 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 the residents of Vrindavan, especially the gopis, would always fear his separation. Which means they would, and then they would feel separation from him. And they would be very preoccupied with his physical presence and absence. But Krishna thought that if he leaves Vrindavan, then the gopis won't have to think about his physical presence or absence. They will feel separation. But in the intensity of their feelings of separation, they will feel Krishna's presence. Whereas when Krishna was physically in Vrindavan, they would only feel his presence if he was physically with them. But when he left, after he left, they could feel his presence anytime through their intense feelings of separation. And this point is elucidated in Sri Brihad Bhagavatamrita um, with the example of uh, fire and ice. Sometimes if something is very cold, it burns. Like dry ice. Dry ice is so cold, if you touch it, you, you get burned. Uh, so when the, the feelings of separation are so intense, it, it, it turns into meeting. It's like ice is the opposite of fire, but when it's cold enough, when, it, when the temperature becomes so extremely cold, it burns, just like fire. So when the feelings of separation become so extreme, it becomes meeting. Just the opposite. And the proof given in Sri Brihad Bhagavatamrita is that, I mean, there are many other aspects to the discussion, but that the gopis and other residents of Vrindavan, they could have gone to Dwarka. But actually they preferred not to because the happiness that they were relishing in separation was greater than the happiness they would have relished in his association in Gork. So here we see that it's happening in in expressing their intense feelings of separation from Krishna. They experience his presence and to the to the extent of his seeing his lotus eyes his smile as if he was dancing with them and even embracing them Lord Balaram of course could understand the ecstatic feelings of the gopis 
And therefore he wanted to pacify them. He was expert in presenting an appeal and thus treating the gopis very respectfully. He began to narrate the stories of Krishna so tactfully that the gopis became satisfied. So this is another way that they and any any devotees can feel the presence of the Lord, and that is by hearing about them, uh, hearing about his pastimes. Um, yeah, that uh, famous verse, Tavakatamritam Taptajivanam, that Krishna Kata is the best medicine for those who are suffering tap. Tap. So tap means uh, misery, say misery, but that misery, it can mean material miseries. That that is also there. Uh, Krishna Kata gives relief. But it also can refer to the misery of feeling separation from Krishna, so that that um, Krishna Kata also gives relief to, for that separation. To keep the gopis in Vrindavan satisfied, Lord Balaram stayed there continuously for two months, namely the months of Chaitra, March-April, and Vaishaka, April-May. What month are we in now? So this was the exact time when Balaram went to Vrindavan. For those two months, he kept himself among the gopis, and he passed every night with them in the forest of Vrindavan, to satisfy their desire for conjugal love. Thus Balaram also enjoyed the rasa dance with the gopis during those two months. Now here it's an, there's an important point. It is mentioned in the uh, commentaries uh, uh, on this chapter in the 10th canto that there you could say we're two sets of gopis, Krishna's gopis and Balaram's gopis. So it's not that Balaram enjoyed the rasa dance with Krishna's gopis. That would have been a, like a rasa basa disturbance in the rasa. But he has, there are his, his gopis who are attached to him in Madhurya rasa. And so he, he had, um, his Rasmila with them. And the other gopis who were attached to Krishna, he pacified them by speaking about Krishna. Since the season was springtime, the breeze on the bank of the Yamuna was blowing very mildly, carrying the aroma of different flowers especially the flower known as Kalmudi. 
moonlight, moonlight filled the sky and spread everywhere. And thus the banks of the Yamuna appeared very bright and pleasing. And Lord Balaram enjoyed the company of the gopis there. The demigod known as Varuna sent his daughter Varuni in the form of liquid honey oozing from the hollows of the trees. Because of this honey, the whole forest became aromatic and the sweet aroma of the liquid honey, Varuni, captivated Balaramji. Balaramji and all the gopis became very much attracted by the taste of the Varuni and all of them drank it together. While drinking this natural beverage, all the gopis chanted the glories of Lord Balaram. And Lord Balaram felt very happy, as if he had become intoxicated by drinking that Varuni beverage. Now, Varuni is a, a, a devotee, and he was drinking that Varuni beverage. He was actually drinking the love and devotion of Varuni. Like Krishna, he would drink Mother Yasoda's breast milk, but it's, it wasn't ordinary milk. It was her love in liquid form. So this is also Varuni's love in liquid form. And Balaram was drinking it and becoming intoxicated. Apparently intoxicated. His eyes rolled in a pleasing attitude. He was decorated with long garlands of forest flowers and the whole situation appeared to be a great function of happiness because of this transcendental bliss. Lord Balaram smiled beautifully and the drops of perspiration decorating his face appeared like soothing morning dew. While Balaram was in that happy mood, he desired to enjoy the company of the gopis in the water of the Yamuna. Therefore, he called the Yamuna to come nearby. But the Yamuna neglected the order of Balaramji, considering him intoxicated. Lord Balaram became very much displeased at the Yamuna's neglecting his order. He immediately wanted to scratch the land near the river with his plowshare. Lord Balaram has two weapons a plow and a club, from which he takes service when they are required. This time he wanted to bring the Yamuna by force, and he took the help of his plow. He wanted to punish the Yamuna because she did not come in obedience to his order. He addressed the Yamuna, You wretched river! You did not care for my order. 
Now I shall teach you a lesson. You did not come to me voluntarily. Now with the help of my plow I shall force you to come. I shall divide you into hundreds of scattered streams. So all the entities in the spiritual world are conscious and personal. The Yamuna is also personal. In fact, it is described that she is... I mean, she has her own identity, but she's also the Gopi Vishaka in liquid form. So everything is personal. There's nothing, no dead matter in in, in Vrindavan. It's all conscious and uh, personal. So when the Yamuna was threatened like this, she became greatly afraid of the power of Balaram and immediately came in person. The, the, the personified form of the Yamuna River came to Balaram, falling at his lotus feet and praying thus, My dear Balaram, you are the most powerful personality and you are pleasing to everyone. Unfortunately, I forgot your glorious, exalted position. But now I have come to my senses. And I remember that you hold all the planetary systems on your head merely by your partial expansion, Shesha. You are the sustainer of the whole universe. My dear Supreme Personality of Godhead, you are full with six opulences. Because I forgot your omnipotence, omnipotence, I have mistakenly disobeyed your order, and thus I have become a great offender. But, my dear Lord, please know that I am a soul surrendered unto you, who are very affectionate to your devotees. Therefore, please excuse my impudence and mistakes, and by your causeless mercy, may you now release me. So she was repentant. It does happen. Devotees forget the Lord's supremacy, and in, in, in Krishna Lila, which is Nar Lila, Krishna resembles an ordinary human being. Balaram resembles an ordinary human being, and one can forget his supreme position. It happened with Brahma when he stole the cowherd boys and calves. It happened with Indra when he sent uh, the torrents of rain. Uh, But because the Lord is affectionate to his devotees, if they repent, and any genuine devotee will repent, then the Lord uh, rectifies them and brings them back to his service, uh, with them being properly situated again. It's described that when Indra sent torrential rain on on the residents of Vrindavan, for a moment Krishna thought, let me just kill him. 
me. He's just, just like such a disturbance. Let me just go. But then he thought, no, I should be merciful to him. I should curb his false pride and bring him back to his senses. The same type of pastime took place in Gorlila. Vallabhabhata, he was proud of, of his knowledge and scholarship. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu humbled him, just like Krishna humbled Indra, uh, and, and thus brought him to a, a better position in, in devotional service. So, Yamuna Devi, she sincerely regretted her, her offense, and not obeying the command of Balaram. Um, and, you know, in, in a genuine mood of repentance, uh, she asked to be forgiven. And uh, she knew that, that the Lord is affectionate to his devotees, and she wanted him to show that affection towards her because she was his surrendered devotee. Uh, she was just temporarily covered by some illusion, some misconception. Upon displaying this submissive attitude, the Yamuna was forgiven. And when she came nearby, Lord Balaram enjoyed the pleasure of swimming in her waters along with the gopis, in the same way that an elephant enjoys himself along with his many she-elephants. After a long time, when Lord Balaram had enjoyed to his full satisfaction, he came out of the water and immediately a goddess of fortune offered him a nice blue garment and a valuable necklace made of gold. After bathing in the Yamuna, Lord Balaram, dressed in blue garments and decorated with golden ornaments, looked very attractive to everyone. Lord Balaram's complexion is white, and when he was properly dressed, he looked exactly like the white elephant of King Indra in the heavenly planets. The river Yamuna still has many branches due to being scratched by the plowshare of Lord Balaram. And these branches of the river Yamuna still glorify the omnipotence of Lord Balaram. Lord Balaram and the gopis enjoyed transcendental pastimes together every night for two months. And the time passed so quickly that all those nights appeared to be only one night. In the presence of Lord Balaram, all the gopis and other inhabitants of Vrindavan became as cheerful as they had been before in the presence of both brothers, Lord Krishna and Lord Balaram. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 65th chapter of Krishna, 
Lord Balaram visits Vrindavan. Hare Krishna. Jai. Shri Balaram Rasayatra ki Jai. Prabhupada ki Jai. So, are there any questions or comments? Yes, Jagarini Makaji. Yes, well, Lord Indra, like other demigods, uh, is a devotee, but he also has material desires. And, you know, he, he, his main fault was his pride, and he wanted to be honored and worshipped. And so... Uh, yeah, he, he became uh, covered. Now, in the... Of course, it's the Lord's pastimes and, and we don't want to um, minimize King Indra, but still, uh, he does have a, a, a desire he does have material desires. Um, of course, he he must be very pious to be in that position and have the Lord's association. But still, he, he has material desires and when people identify with their material desires and their material desires are frustrated, they become angry. And like you said, that anger was not on the transcendental platform of man, like the gopis. That was just anger born of uh, the frustration of material desires. In fact, one name of uh, one one word for anger is uh, kamanuja. Anuja means younger brother, and Kam means desire. So wherever there's desire, material desire, the younger brother follows behind. That's anger. So that was that was the case of Indra. I mean, it was the Lord's pastimes for our benefit as well. But still, that was the case. Uh, and that, that's not that transcendental love of man which is uh, seen in, in, in the pure devotees in Vrindavan. Correct. So it happens. Even Lord Brahma, what to speak of uh, Indra, even Lord Brahma, once a disciple asked Srila Prabhupada, 
you know, Lord Brahma was such a great devotee. He, he, he uh, created the universe and he made such beautiful prayers in the Brahma Samhita. And, uh, he was the first uh, teacher in our line. You know, he's such a great devotee. How could he have become bewildered? And Srila Prabhupada replied, He is a devotee, but the great devotees are in Vrindavan. And that was Lord Brahma, so to speak, of Indra. So, he is a devotee, but not on the level of the devotees in Vrindavan. Yes, Akuranath Prabhu. Microphone? When one gopi was saying that uh, the uh, women in Dwarka, they, they wouldn't be so easily cheated like us, was she indirectly glorifying the, the, the love of the gopis compared to the uh, love of the uh, women of Dwarka? <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes, you know, that that's true, that in their simple love for Krishna, they would, yeah, they would accept whatever he said or did. In the past time where he stole their garments, Gopi Vastrana Vila, they threatened Krishna that if you don't return our garments, we will complain to your father, Nanda Maharaj. And Krishna said, well, I don't care. <laughs> he can't do anything about against me. Well, then we'll complain to Kamsa. He's the king. He will, he will chastise you for your misbehavior. And Srila Prabhupada comments that although although they made those threats against Krishna, but actually they never took any action against him because of their pure love. So it could be a sort of an indirect state statement that you know that the ladies in Mathura, the sophisticated ladies in Mathura they may not be so submissive and um, surrendered. Yes, Rakshit. Uh, yes, Maharaj. When we hear about uh, the pastimes of the Lord, um, we are told at the same time that uh, there are activities that are happening in the material world, just like in the spiritual world, but they are perverted reflections of what is there. There's something I read. And so when we hear about these activities, um, they being perverted reflections for one thing. The other is that it is said that you cannot emulate Krishna's activities. A living entity cannot copy him or imitate him. So in hearing about these pastimes and these activities, what is a devotee to take from that? Is it 
the contentment in hearing about it and knowing that these activities are going on in the spiritual world? Or is there some more significance beyond that? For the devotee, the benefit. Well, uh, yes, there's benefit on both levels, uh, rasa and tattva, by hearing about the Lord's pastimes with his devotees in the spiritual world, we can get attracted to them and aspire to to join them. That's the, that's uh, anugrahaya bhaktanam. There, there's a um, a verse at the end of uh, the five chapters dealing with the rasa dance. It says that. Krishna, in order to bestow mercy upon his devotees, uh, displays human-like pastimes so that they will become attracted to him and, and his pastimes and want to engage in his service. So by hearing these pastimes, we can we can think, you know, I, I want to go to Vrindavan. You know, I want to live in Vrindavan eternally and, and have a relationship with Krishna. You know, as a, as a servant or a cowherd boyfriend or as a, a parental figure or, or as, a, as a, a, a young gopi. That should be just like, um, I mean, on the most mundane platform, some friend, I mean, not a devotee, of course, but some friend might say, uh, oh, I ate in a great restaurant, you know, you've got to try there, such and such. So by hearing about it, you develop a desire, oh, I, you know, to go to such and such restaurant try such and such preparation. Or somebody, yeah, I mean, whatever it is, somebody might say, oh, I visited uh, Yosemite, it's so beautiful, and, you know, there's so many flowers and waterfalls, and so then you des- develop a desire, oh, I want to go to Yosemite. So it's the same principle that by hearing about Krishna and his loving relationships with his devotees in Vrindavan, you develop, oh, I want to go to Vrindavan, I want to live in Vrindavan, I want to have a relationship with Krishna too. So this is regarding uh, the temple of Vedic Plantarium, which has been built in Mayapur. So some of the explanations and dioramas and the model that will be created, um, there will be uh, conflicting views and uh, the people will come together. So then if somebody explains like you know, certain things are inconceivable, so, 
No, that would not, um, that's not the idea. Prabhupada's idea of the Vedic planetarium was to present uh, a, a version of the structure of the universe as an alternative paradigm to the one accepted by the empiric scientists. And um, there were devotee uh, scientists like Sadaputta Prabhu and others who were trying to sort of reconcile the apparent differences between the view of the empiric scientists and the version in the Bhagavatam. Um, it is a challenge. It is a challenge. Um, and uh, it, you know, it's such a specialized field of study. From what I understand, there are devotees who do have uh, strong views on how it should be presented and some of their views are differing. But that answer, you know, that it's inconceivable, that, that's, that, was, that was Prabhupada's instruction to a disciple. He didn't want his disciple to become too, too disturbed by, um, by, by the contradiction. But what we present to the public should not have contradictions. It should. It should. Um, it should appeal to their sense of logic and reason. Um, I did have a thought because uh, you know the ulti- the ultimate purpose in everything that Prabhupada did was ultimately to bring people to Krishna, and he was just re- you know working to remove different obstacles that would come in the way of people's coming to Krishna. So one thing I've come across a lot is is people say, in, in the, I guess these sort of alternative circles or new age circles or yoga circles or whatever, they say the universe is telling me something. <laughs> the universe is arranging something. So I was thinking like, well, what does that mean? (laughs) The universe. Is it the atoms? Are the atoms trying to tell you something? Or, you know, is it the galaxies? Uh, What is trying to tell you something? So it's, it's the same... It's it's the same type of 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 atheism, but there it's it's sort of like they're trying. It's like obviously it's to arrange something for you. It implies a conscious plan, you know, 
to tell you something, it implies a, a conscious intention to communicate. So, the universe, you, it, it's like they're coming to the fact that there is a conscious being who is capable of making arrangements far beyond those of any individual or group of individuals who are who is able to convey messages to you in ways beyond ordinary people but they don't want to take the step and admit that there's a supreme person who's making arrangements and giving them messages. Uh, now, it could be, hypothetically, it could be that the, the authors of these kinds of books actually believe in a supreme person, but they don't want to come out and say it because they won't be able to sell their books, because then their book will be taken as some, some religious book that people don't like, or if they go even further and give a name to the Supreme Person, then it could be even taken as a sectarian religious book. So there could be, could be some like that. Like I heard Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that he's actually a very faithful theist. But the, the publishers felt that if he was too open in his theism, the book would lose some of its appeal and the sales. But he says that himself. You know, he, he comes out and, and says that. But he doesn't talk in that type of language. He talks about eternal principles, which I think is pretty good. I mean, that book, from a theistic point of view, is very compatible with Krishna consciousness. But this thing, oh, the you know, like someone said, uh, I went to yoga, and they 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 taught me about breathing, about the importance of breathing. Then I went to voice lessons, and they also taught me about the importance of breathing when it comes to singing. So I think the universe is trying to tell me something about breathing. <laughs> so, okay, the universe. What what does that mean? You know, really, what does that mean? The universe, the atoms, you know, the the the, the stars. I mean. Why not just admit that there that if if someone is trying to tell you something, not something, it's someone, then who is that someone? And what is my relationship with that someone? What is my duty towards that someone? So that would require a further step than most people are willing to take. If it's the universe, well, Okay, thanks, universe. <laughs> I got the message. I'll pay more attention to my breathing. Or, 
you know, thanks universe, you made a you made a good arrangement, and then you're just free to go on your merry way. But if you actually take the next step, that there is a conscious being, person, who's making arrangements for you, who's telling you things through the actions of the universe, then the next question is, who is that supreme person? What is my relationship with him? What is my duty towards him? Then it becomes a little more serious. So, anyway, I just, I I hear this phrase so often now, so often, I just really, I think maybe, I mean, it depends, you know, time, places. The next time someone says that, I what do you mean the universe? Is it the atoms? Is it the protons, the neutrons, the electrons? Is it the galaxy? You know, what what is it? Where, you know, how, how does this work? Because it's obvious it has to go back to a person, a conscious supreme person. There's no other conclusion. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. The second question was on chanting. When I chant much, uh, I give, I take, I take also almost um, one hour, 45 minutes, or two hours to chant my 16 hours. So I every day I give that much time, whatever it may be, you know. But then still the mind is, is racing against time. Like you have a computer, you have a computer on, you have a computer on. So, but at the end I find that I have given that much time to chanting. Then after chanting I feel like why is it that the mind couldn't concentrate but just concentrate on racing against the time to complete the runs. So I wanted to ask this how to get over Well, what you described is not ideal. In fact, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur in Harinam Chintamani says that uh, while chanting to be thinking, I have to finish my rounds and be worried, you know, whether I'll finish my rounds in time. That's like an anartha. You know, we should take it that our time for japa is our time with Krishna. And we should just, I mean, ideally, we should just forget everything else and relish our time with Krishna. And that's when you really can feel the the, the beneficial effects of, of of chanting. And Krishna is his holy name. You know, the holy name is Krishna. And he's, you know, like sometimes I also have that tendency, like, well, I, I want to relax and chant, but like what if, you know, 
And then I think, well, the, the holy name is Krishna. And if I'm really in touch with the holy name, with Krishna, then Krishna will tell me. You know, like, many devotees have the experience when they forget about what they're worrying about and just surrender to the chanting, what they were worrying about gets taken care of anyway. And so, but, yeah. So I think that's that's really the the conclusion. And of course, it's good in the early morning before you know the modes of passion and ignorance become more prominent in the atmosphere, and before we begin our day's activities. Um, in Java retreats, we do an exercise where you, you like you notice each mantra and only if you've done the mantra with consciousness do you go on to the next bead. So that's definitely uh, a very chastening experience. But that could take a long time to, <laughs> to finish. You might not it. <laughs> So, um, but but it does make you aware of it. There are different exercises. Um, one we like we have we have devotees list how they feel after they've had a good job session, and you know invariably devotees will say you know enlivened, inspired, enthusiastic, blissful, empowered clear-minded, so many things. And then we ask, you know, what, how do you feel after you've had like a bad session? Discouraged, disappointed, uh, morose, guilty. And then we say, well, okay, these are the results of two different types of japa, so which result do you want? You know? It's like, and it's also part of preaching in a, in a way because like our motto is chant and be happy. But if you look at how you feel after a bad japa session, morose, guilty, disappointed, frustrated, then what is it, then it's like chant and be frustrated and angry and guilty that is the Hare Krishna movement so to, yeah our motto is chant and be happy but the way to do that is to chant properly you know, chant nicely so it, like anything else a lot has to do with hearing and discussing you know when you when you talk about japa it 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 clarifies things and it strengthens your determination. Like book distribution. You talk about book distribution, it clarifies why we do it, how to do it, and it increases our determination to do it. That's the same with japa. It's the same with anything. So it's, it's, it's important. It, it's good that you brought that up. It, it's important that we discuss it. It, it reinforces our determination reminds us of 
things that we might have forgotten. Yes. Thank you, Maharaj, for the class. Uh, uh, I think the whole uh, chapter which you read, uh, you know, everything was very blissful, uh, where very vivid narrations about the clear skies, the, the moonlight, the, 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 you know, the, the wind carrying, carrying aroma, and every devotee was pleased by Lord Balram, including Krishna's gopi, the villages gopi. One thing which is striking, uh, uh, which I'm not able to comprehend is, uh, uh, why is the analogy of Lord Balram given as that of a white elephant, and the gopi is also like an elephant, group of elephants, because typically we don't, is it because they were behaving as if they were intoxicated? So that's one analogy which I am not able to, typically we do like, you know, like swans, which are pleasing. So, so right thing is happening, but why comparing with the group of You know, elephants are also very special creatures. I don't know if you have had much experience with elephants. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> Ele- elephants are actually very special. They're very regal and uh, majestic. We've had elephants in Mayapur. Devotees become, you know, very attached to them. In um, uh, in in Guru. Guru Vayor, the, the, the main temple in the state of uh, Kerala is Guru Vayapan. And the, every, I think every evening, there's a procession where the deity is taken on the back of an elephant. And there's a um, one elephant that was such a great devotee uh, it really sounds like he went back to Godhead. He was, he was such a great devotee. And they even have like a little uh, monument, a statue for him. And then there's a park where they, where they keep elephants and then out of those elephants they train them to, to serve the deity. So I went there once with a group of devotees and we chanted for the elephants and they, they actually started to like sway in time to the kirtan. So they, they can be very regal and, and majestic and um, graceful. So I think it's, it's, it's a very good analogy. It's just maybe you didn't have that experience yet. But yeah. yeah. Hare Krishna. Yes. Yeah. His gait is. Yeah. Elephants keep very graceful. Yes, occurred on the Prabhu. When you're talking about uh, the universe is trying to tell me something, it was reminding me of the first. Uh, a couple of chapters in the second canto where the first step in God realization for those who are too materialistic to accept the spiritual form of Krishna they're in, 
invited to meditate on the entire universe as being a form of Krishna, universal form. And then uh, the next step is the, to recognize the Lord in the heart. So it's reminding me of that, that, that one sense they're being atheistic by not saying, God is trying to tell me, but in another sense they're being more theistic than someone who says, you know, no one could, no one's really trying to tell you anything, it's just your imagination, everything's chance. Yeah. That's a good uh, point of comparison. Of course, the idea of the universal form is it is for people who appreciate the universe as the greatest thing that they can conceive of, but it, it does give it a personal shape. And that makes it, it the first step in God realization because you are accepting God but you're not seeing his eternal blissful spiritual form as, as Shamsundar, but you're seeing the universe as his body. Uh, but I would say this is maybe the... Uh, it, it's a step towards God realization, but it's not the first step in God realization because the universal form includes the personality beyond the universe. It's, a, it's clear. You know, the trees are his hair. There's a person behind it all. So, but it's a good point of comparison. They're, they're, they're approaching it, but they haven't, they haven't reached yet to the universal form. When they get to the universal form, they have to, it means they're accepting the, the, the personality of God. Maybe some of those people who are inclined to say the universe is trying to tell me something would be uh, interested to hear and favorable to hear that in the Srimad Bhagavatam there's this description of the whole universe as a person with a form. With, with yeah, it could be that could be the bridge to take them across. <laughs> That's very good. You're very intelligent, Akura. Enough. <laughs> you. Can, you can make a good lawyer. There's one, um, there's one reference to that in Jagatam in the chapter, I think it's the 11th chapter, when, um, it's the meeting between the Mullahs and the, um, the devotees who were uh, celebrating at the temple and uh, the deity of um, Mahaprabhu that Vishnu Kriya worshipped that temple. And this one person is speaking
So yeah, they're they're they're. Um, it's a good sign. It's definitely a good sign that they're admitting uh, some higher being. Um, very very close. Very close. Um, yeah, could just take like a little nudge, a little gentle push. Yeah, very close. Another thing, since we're on the topic, is they talk about like your inner self, like sort of getting in touch with yourself or taking care of yourself, not neglecting yourself. And again, it's, it's verging on Krishna consciousness. But it, it's like they don't have a clear conception, or maybe if they do, they're covering it in vague language, of the Jivatma and the Paramatma. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of what they say, if you insert, you know, Jivatma and Paramatma, holds true. It holds true, but they just use a sort of vague language um, you know, for the self. So, yeah, there's there's definitely... Um, they're coming close, but it, 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 it will really... Um, yeah, be our challenge or our task to help them beyond that vagueness to the to the reality of Krishna or God or the Supreme Person. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you. Yes, Mother. That's a good question. Very good question. 
actually he did. Yeah. In, after killing the demon Dantavakra, he did return, just like Balaram did. It's not mentioned explicit, explicitly in Srimad Bhagavatam, but it is mentioned in other scriptures. And if you read in the, um, you know, in the BBT translation of the later chapters of the tenth canto, you'll find a very long purport which quotes extensively from Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur who in turn quotes from various scriptures that after killing Dantavakra Krishna did return to Vrindavan just like Bhagavan um, but it's not it, it, it's not stated explicitly in, in Srimad Bhagavatam but he did he did You know, as far as the capacity of devotees in Vatsalya Ras or Sakya Ras to experience Krishna's presence and separation, um, it's possible, it's not restricted only to Madhurya Ras. Um, yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of intricacies. There's a lot of intricacies here. But it's described um, that when when Uddhava came to Vrindavan, you know, after Krishna and Balaram had left, there's some in in the Bhagavatam there's some very sort of joyful descriptions of the residents of Vrindavan and the cows and calves and and then there's some very um, pathetic descriptions of them being in separation, not even caring to bathe or eat or change their dress. And uh, Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur explains, and Srila Prabhupada even mentions it in Krishna book. In Krishna book, Srila Prabhupada has given us information that goes beyond Srimad Bhagavatam and even the commentaries on Srimad Bhagavatam. He's given us information that comes from Gopal Champu and other scriptures. So he, he also mentions it that the the, the, the descriptions of the residents of Vrindavan, you know, with, you know, not eating, you know, growing thin, not bathing, not changing their dress, just being completely forlorn in separation, refers to, to them you could say, in an external aspect. And then the other descriptions, which are right there in the same chapter, of the gopis turning their butter and singing songs of Krishna and 
cows and the calves playfully sporting in the fields of Vrindavan. That refers to sort of their inner dimension, if, if you will. So it's, it's very intricate. It's very intricate. Um, in fact, one disciple asked Srila Prabhupada that, you know, in sep- if, if the devotee in separation is actually associating with Krishna, why, why does he exhibit these symptoms of, like, crying and uh, all the symptoms of, of uh, pain and separation? And um, Srila Prabhupada said that, yeah, the, the, the same idea, just in very simple terms, that, that externally it appears like that, but internally the devotee is actually relishing association. Yes. I also heard like uh, Krishna never left Vindavan, like he left only so when Akruna Akruna was taking Krishna was in the river and then like they changed and when uh, Vasudev came they, uh, Vasudev Krishna changed into real Krishna and somewhere Prabhupada was mentioning so Nobody was asking Prabhupada where was Krishna. So Prabhupada was mentioning he was hiding behind the tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Vrindavanam Prichyajaya Ekapadam Nagachati. Krishna doesn't take one step out of Vrindavan. So in this discussion in, in Krishna book, Srila Prabhupada explains that in a way Krishna did not leave Vrindavan but he remained in Vrindavan in what he calls his bhava expansion and so the residents of Vrindavan were able to experience his association through his bhava expansion Um, and and uh, yeah, the same thing, and th- therefore they were they were always blissful. That's a very good point. Yes. Anger and my for describing about continental anger of Balramji. Can you uh, can you have some personal realization with Tilakrupat exhibiting continental anger and it was benefit to all the disciples? Uh, well I'll tell one I mean of course I've had my own experiences but (laughs) (laughs) because you asked for one that would be instructive to all disciples so I'll tell this other one because it it really is instructive in a a, um, broader sense but when Srila Prabhupada was in Juhu in 1977, he was very uh, ill, and he was not coming down from his his quarters. And there were just uh, a select group of disciples who 
were serving him there. So one of them was uh, His Holiness Navayogendra Swami. And Srila Prabhupada was very particular about his prasad being served on time. And once Navayogendra Swami brought it late and Srila Prabhupada uh, became very angry. And and Navayogendra Swami asked him, Srila Prabhupada, when you become angry, we become, we become so bewildered, we don't know what to do, we don't know what what to think, we don't know how, how to feel. How should we feel when you become so angry? And Srila Prabhupada replied, you should feel jubilant. <laughs> there are so many people loitering on the street who have no one to look after them, who have no one who cares for them and will correct them if they do something wrong. So you should feel jubilant that you have a that you have a master who cares for you and, and who will correct you if you do something wrong. All right, thank you all very much. Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada Ki Hare Krishna.